This is the Macmillan Library Podcast, a community conversation maker, bringing you curated conversations with Macmillan librarians, community members, authors, musicians, artists, and more. Welcome back to our book review podcast, Biblionost. This is Colin McGinnis, the adult services librarian here at Macmillan, and joining me, as usual, co-host is Jenny Bonneman, and I am the young adult services librarian here at Macmillan Library. Excellent. So we have some new and old books to go over, a cornucopia of different books today, nonfiction, fiction, YA, and some things happening in the library to talk about. And Jenny is going to get us started. Yeah, um, I will start um, with a plug for our teen summer book club. It meets once a month during the summer um, in June, July, and August. And I'm going to talk just a little bit about our first book that we read for June, which um, was Renegades by Marissa Meyer. And um, in July... We are reading Refugee by Alan Gratz, and in August, we're reading Hamilton and Peggy by L.M. Elliot. And both Refugee and Hamilton and Peggy I've briefly mentioned in past podcasts. Um, but Renegades is the new one, and this is a young adult book by author Marissa Meyer, and she is known um, for the Lunar, Lunar Chronicles series. Um, which is sort of like a dystopian fairy tale um, retelling. So her first book in that series um, is called Cinder. So it's kind of a play on Cinderella, and she's like a cyborg character. But it has a very similar storyline. And then the second book in that series is Scarlet, which is a take on Little Red Riding Hood. Cress, her third book, um, brings in the Rapunzel character, and then Winter, which is the last book in that series, brings in Snow White. But, um, you know, the characters kind of all join together um, throughout the series. Um, so that's the series that she's known for. And then this is her one of her newer books, Renegades, which is not a fairy tale retelling. Um, it's a book about superheroes. Um, so I'm just going to read um, the summary from the jacket here. Secret identities, extraordinary powers. She wants vengeance. He wants justice. The renegades are a syndicate of prodigies, humans with extraordinary abilities, who emerged from the ruins of a crumbled society and established peace and order where chaos reigned. As champions of justice, they remain a symbol of hope and courage to everyone except the villains they once overthrew. Nova has a reason to hate the renegades, and she is on a mission for vengeance. As she gets closer to her target, she meets Adrian, a renegade boy who believes in justice and in Nova. But Nova's allegiance is to a villain who has the power to end them both. So it's kind of interesting because the renegades are supposed to be like the good guys, and they're kind of running this city of Gatlin. Um, But then it's also really questionable if these superhero renegades are the good guys, Um, you know, because the sort of common people who aren't prodigies have to rely on the renegades for everything. Um, And Nova thinks that um, 
it's creating a problem because the community is not really learning how to deal with problems themselves. They just rely on these superheroes to solve everything. Um, so it's a really interesting story between the renegades and the villains. And I think they call them the, the anarchists. Um, and it did get a starred review from um, Publishers Weekly. And I just have a bit to read from that, um, that review. The night that Nova's parents and infant sister were murdered, the renegade superheroes who protect her city never came to save the day. And this is one of the reasons, the main reason why she is really against the renegades. Ten years later, the time has come for 16-year-old Nova to infiltrate the renegades and exact her revenge. Her power to induce sleep has been honed by the anarchists, the so-called villains of the world. So Beyond the Capes and Masks is a strikingly grounded story of star-crossed would-be lovers, deception, and the recognition that most of humanity exists between the extremes of good and evil. And then there is a twist um, at the end. A twist ending casts doubt on a key aspect of the story's history and leaves the door open for future exploration. So the sequel to Renegades um, comes out in November of this year. So November of 2018, and it's called Arch Enemies. So if you're interested in um, reading a new superhero tale, be sure to check out Renegades. So that one is you're doing for the book club? Yes. Yeah, for the Teen Summer Book Club. Okay. How does it compare to her old books? Um, I mean, the storytelling is very similar um, you know, and her writing style is obviously very similar. Um, I think I enjoyed it just as much as I enjoyed. I haven't read all of the Lunar Chronicles, but I did read Cinder, um, and I enjoyed that a lot. I liked Cinder maybe better just because I really enjoyed the fairy tale retelling. I thought it was really fun. Um, but this is really different for her because it's um, – completely different from what she had been doing before but i still really enjoyed it um you know it was a light fun read you know if you're interested in superheroes and yeah yeah uh i've got a couple from the post proxima book club since it's been a while since we've done a book review podcast i thought i'd bring some of these to light last month was a book called Flavor, The Science of Our Most Neglected Sense by Bob Holmes. Um, and I'm going to read the little dust jacket summary here. Can you describe how the flavor of halibut differs from that of red snapper? How the taste of Fuji apple differs from Spartan? For most of us, this is a difficult task. Flavor remains a vague, undeveloped concept that we don't know enough about to describe or appreciate fully. In this delightful and compelling exploration of our most neglected sense, veteran science reporter Bob Holmes shows us just how much we're missing. Considering every angle of flavor from our neurobiology to the science and practice of modern food production, Holmes takes readers on a journey to uncover the broad range of factors that can affect our appreciation of a fine meal or an exceptional glass of wine. He peers over the shoulders of some of the most fascinating food professionals working today, from cutting-edge chefs to food engineers to mathematicians investigating the perfect combination of pizza toppings. 
He talks with flavor and olfactory scientists who describe why two people can experience remarkably different sensations from the same morsel of food, and how something as seemingly unrelated as cultural heritage can actually impact our sense of smell. Uh, so the book was really interesting. It brings up a lot of questions to research and think about. And the flavors, I guess, come from a variety of factors, including taste or including flavor from the tongue or taste from the tongue. Flavor, I think, is the overall sensation. So even the way like something is plated, like restaurants usually have those nice white plates. Um, and I read that before too, like coffee can taste different and taste best in a white ceramic mug. If you have a black coffee mug, it's not going to be as flavorful. Um, just your environment, the music around, like there's been, he talks about some restaurants that incorporated all of those different things like small servings and there's music and they have scents um, going around because I guess oysters taste better if you can hear the ocean waves. I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fascinating how your environment can change that. So a lot of it, he goes into a lot of the different factors that can affect taste, the different individual chemicals and molecules. Um, but our minds actually play a huge role. Like wines can't consi consistently win awards because uh, it can vary by judge by judge or just by the time of day. Like if I feel worse right now or if I just had a whatever, a phone call, I'm a little angry or anxious or something that will make the wine taste different. Wow. Or if it reminds me of something great experience in my childhood or sometime where I was on a trip and had this great time, then I'll think I'll rate that wine higher. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah I always thought that the mind had a lot to do with it for when like, buying coffees. I always look at their coffee bags and the presentation and description, and some of them I'm just like, I, they completely made this up, it seems like. Like, mm -hmm. it, coffee tastes like lemons and fresh-baked pumpkin pie mixed on the side of a mountain at 12 o'clock p.m. I've never... A waft of yeah. ocean spray. Yep. That's a little uh, wow. exaggerated. Yeah. But uh, just having the things on the coffee, like if you give you... If I give you coffee in a black cup and be like, do you... What do you taste? Versus showing you a nice bag that says it tastes like apple, strawberry with notes of chocolate mm -hmm. and a nice white cup. It's most likely that you're going to like that coffee better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, oh, interesting, yeah. But there's a lot of that to get into in the book, so I would highly recommend it. But I'm also a little skeptical about some things. Like he's a chemical as a chemical type person. So he was advocating for the use of MSG because mm. it – I guess it's just like adding mushrooms to a soup. It adds the glutamate, so this mono, the sodium and the glutamate together. Um, I guess there are some faulty studies and claims about MSG in the past, but before I start 
embarking on using MSG. He says you should have an MSG shaker in your kitchen along with other things. That sounds crazy. <laughs> and I'm definitely going to do a lot of research before I would do that, before I would start asking for MSG, right. like extra MSG, like Kramer on Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I know MSG can give people headaches and stuff, right? Like it can... That is the claim. Yeah. Okay. The Chinese food syndrome. To my mom. Yeah. But they, he claims, and the researchers claim that it is false. Hmm. And the double-blind studies of people who say they're allergic or get headaches from MSG, and then they give them all something and nothing. They said that the findings were that people couldn't tell if something had MSG or hmm. couldn't have the effects of it unless they knew there was MSG in there. Interesting, yeah. But I don't know. Because I think aspartame gives me headaches. Mm -hmm. Aspartame. I've heard, yeah, people say that. It makes me feel terrible, but... I think it tastes awful. It also tastes awful. (laughs) I'm just like, nope. Real sugar, come on. (laughs) Or stevia. Or or stevia. I like stevia. Stevia is not too bad. There's a... Little strange taste to it, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's good. Yeah. Nice. Um, um, what do you have? Yeah. Refinished. With mm-hmm. thing. Okay. Um, so the next book that I have to just briefly talk about is um, a book called Dumplin', and it's by Julie Murphy. Um, and just a little bit about the author. Um Julie Murphy lives in North Texas. Uh, Her debut contemporary young adult novel was Side Effects May Vary, which I haven't read. But now that I've read Dumpling, I'm very interested in her other books. Um, That book was well received by Kirkus, School Library Journal, Voya, Booklist, Seventeen Magazine, and Teen Vogue. So it says something. And Dumplin' um, has received glowing reviews including two stars from Publishers Weekly and Booklist. So I'm currently listening to the audiobook, so I haven't completed the book just yet. Um, But so far, I'm really enjoying it, and I have just a summary here to tell you a little bit more about Dumplin'. Self-proclaimed fat girl Willow Dean Dixon, dubbed Dumplin' by her former beauty queen mom, has always been at home in her own skin. With her all-American beauty best friend, Ellen, by her side, things have always worked. Until Will takes a job at Harpy's, the local fast food joint. There, she meets private school hottie Bo, who's a former jock. And Will isn't surprised to find herself attracted to Bo, but she is surprised he seems to like her back. Instead of finding new heights of self-assurance in her relationship with Bo, Will starts to doubt herself, so she sets out to take back her confidence by doing the most horrifying thing she can imagine, which is entering the Miss Clover City beauty pageant, along with several other unlikely candidates, to show the world that she deserves to be up there as much as any girl does. Along the way, she'll shock Clover City, and maybe herself most of all. With starry Texas nights, um, Dolly Parton songs and wildly unforgettable, uh, a wildly unforgettable heroine, Dumplin' is guaranteed to steal your heart. Um, so I really enjoy the storytelling and the writing. It reminds me a lot of Rainbow Rowell. So for 
those YA fans who know Rainbow Rowell, um, and especially her book, Eleanor and Park, or yeah, Eleanor and Park, um, it reminds me quite a bit of that. So I think if you enjoy Rainbow Rowell, you'll enjoy Dumplin' by Julia Murphy. Um, and I do have part of the Kirkus review here um, that I thought um, captured the book really well. In a small Texas town, a confident fat girl confronts new challenges to her self-esteem. At age 16, Willow Dean, her mother calls her Dumplin', has a good sense of herself. She's uninterested in this the pageant that I mentioned earlier, the Clover City Miss Teen Blue Bonnet pageant, which annually takes over the town and Will's own house. Mom won once and now runs the pageant, dieting to fit her old dress and pressuring Will to diet too. Will doesn't. She mourns her beloved Aunt Lucy, a second parent to her who died six months ago and simmers with pleasure over the new hot sort of boyfriend. However, his touch makes Will panic with newfound insecurity. She loses him, loses her old best friend, gains new social outsider buddies, and finds triumph somewhere amid Dolly Parton, breaking pageant rules and repairing relationships. The text refreshingly asserts that thinness is no requirement for doing and deserving good things, that weight loss isn't a cure-all, and that dieting doesn't work anyway. Um... So I've really been enjoying it. I think I think it's been a really great book so far, and the audiobook is really well done. The narrator does a really great job. Um, and I did see that. Um, let's see. I think where are my notes here? Yeah, Disney has um, picked up the film rights, so it'll be really interesting to see what Disney does with that. Um, sometimes I don't always trust Disney. Um, to portray things like accurately and I just feel like in the book she's really doing such a great job of like a realistic portrayal of this girl who is dealing you know with being comfortable in her own skin um in a society that is not very accepting and and sometimes I feel like Disney you know kind of doesn't do the best job at, at representing people in the real world so, I don't know. Maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised, um, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they kind of transform Dumplin' into a movie. Yeah, it sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. What What was the last thing describing it stuck out, though? It said, what did it say? Dieting doesn't work? Yeah, it said dieting doesn't work anyway. So, maybe for some, maybe not for everybody. I mean, <laughs> to sure an extent, <laughs> if you're trying to starve yourself or if you have some kind of eating disorder, then no. But, right. I mean, in yeah. the broad spectrum of things, a yeah. diet could be for anything. A diet could be for anything. For health yeah. reasons. Exactly. Yep. You maybe could not be losing any weight. You could just be changing the type of foods you're eating. Right. So, exactly. It's a little exactly. strange. Yeah. And I wonder <laughs> if that comment was just math. Probably meant towards, to be in context with right, what she's dealing like with. Like trying to lose weight or um maybe not embracing dieting because she wants to be comfortable in her own skin. Um Yeah, if her mom's trying to make her starve to death. Yes, you know, and mom is not really it's not the most fun. Relating to her very well. But but it's really enjoyable. It's a great book. So I highly recommend it. Nice. I have another selection from the book club. And this one is, I talked about a Jeff Vandermeer book before. 
one of his Southern Reach trilogy books, and we read Born by Jeff Vandermeer. And it is in a ruined, nameless city of the future, a woman named Rachel, who makes her living as a scavenger, finds a creature she names Born, entangled in the fur of Mord, a gigantic, despotic bear. Mord once prowled the corridors of the biotech organization known as The Company, which lies at the outskirts of the city, until he was experimented on, grew large, learned to fly, and broke free. Driven insane by his torture at The Company, Mord terrorizes the city even as he provides sustenance for scavengers like Rachel. <clears throat> so the whole story takes place in a... We don't really know what the world it takes place in, but it's a world where things called biotech are prevalent. So it's it's a dystopian where this company has basically destroyed everything and people are living as scavengers. And instead of like a bottle of liquor or beer, they have like these minnows, these alcoholic minnows that they eat that are like that get them intoxicated like everything is a different like live biotech thing and like all the traps are different live things and for weapons they have these beetles that they throw they'll throw at you and explode so like everything is like part part machine part (laughs) sounds amazing living um and the world increasingly becomes a little muddy about where in time or place it is taking place. Uh, Much of it is this creature born growing up with Rachel and them trying to survive amongst different scavengers and a character called the magician who is trying to lodge a um, resistance to what's left of the company and more the flying bear that just destroys things at will. Also has proxy bears that he controls and sends out that attack people. Wow, sounds incredible. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Um, and Jeff Vandermeer is an amazing writer. So everything is, the pacing, some people have complained, is a little bit slow, but the descriptions are amazing. Uh, I'm just going to read the first couple paragraphs of the book to get you a sample of how the writing is. First chapter is what I found and how I found it. I found born on a sunny gunmetal day when the giant bear moored came roving near our home. To me, born was just salvage at first. I didn't know what born would mean to us. I couldn't know that he would change everything. Born was not much to look at at first time dark purple and about the size of my fist, clinging to Mord's fur like a half-closed, stranded sea anemone. I found him only because, beacon-like, he strobed emerald green across the purple every half-minute or so. Come close. I could smell the brine, rising in a wave, and for a moment there was no ruined city around me, no search for food and water, no roving gangs and escaped, altered creatures of unknown origin or intent. No mutilated, burned bodies dangling from broken street lamps. Instead, for a dangerous moment, this thing I'd found was from the tidal pools of my youth, before I'd come to the city. 
I could smell the pressed flower twist of the salt and feel the wind. I knew the chill of the water rippling over my feet, the long hunt for seashells, the gruff sound of my father's voice, the upward lilt of my mother's, the honey warmth of the sand engulfing my feet as I looked toward the horizon and the white sails of ships that told of visitors from beyond our island. If I had ever lived on an island, if that had ever been true, the sun above the carious yellow of one of Mord's eyes. So it's a pretty um, in-depth scientific fiction, science fiction book. Uh, it takes place as Bourne grows up in this world and they fight against Mord, the magician, and try to figure out their place and meaning and well, like what everybody does in the world, trying to figure out what their purpose is and they just have a a stranger landscape to figure it out in. All right, great. So what is, um, and I don't know, maybe you're going to talk about this. What is the book for your next book club for the, what's the book club called? Prost? Prost Proxima. Prost Proxima, yeah. The next book is, I believe it's called Artemis by Andy Weir. Mm -hmm. That will be the July book. And it's every third Wednesday it's off-site at Tom's, um, just a couple of blocks or a block off from nice. the library. Yeah. And so Andy Ware is the guy who wrote The Martian, yes. too, correct? Nice. Well, that'd be cool. So we usually switch off between nonfiction and fiction, kind of science fiction or science-y related books. Fun. Very cool. And I love that it's off-site, too. And what's it, what is it, Tom's? Yeah, Tom's on Grand. Yeah, so you can like kind of enjoy yourself and like a nice. Yeah, so we get some hors d'oeuvres. We all sit around a big table upstairs. Um, you can grab a beer if you want to have while you're discussing literature. So yeah. Yeah, hors d'oeuvres. I mean, you can't go wrong with. Chicken wings are good there. Chicken wings <laughs> sounds great. All right, so kind of switching gears a little bit. Um, I'm going to talk about the Wisconsin Author Project and. This is a committee that I'm serving on right now, and it's like a brand new committee through the Wisconsin Library Association. And um, so it's brand new this year. So I kind of want to plug it a little bit, um, but kind of, you know, talk about what it's all about. So let's see. Okay. So the Wisconsin Author Project, um, it's a statewide contest um, where we accept submissions of self-published young adult and adult fiction to be recognized um, as the top self-published books in the state. Um, this is offered in partnership with Biblio Board and Library Journal. Um, our committee um, will recognize one winner and one honorable mention um, from the fiction submissions. Um, and first, the submissions go through Library Journal. So they kind of read all of them, they kind of go through them, and then they pass them on to our committee. And then we read through them, and we pick out the ones that we think are good contenders. Um, they are submitted via as an ebook, and they they were accepted starting April first of this year, and the deadline is actually in a couple days on June thirtieth. Um, so a little bit more about the contest is that, so one winner of the contest will receive 
a $1,000 cash prize, a write-up um, in the December print issue of Library Journal, honors at the American Library Association Midwinter 2019 Thrive Reception in Seattle, um, opportunities to promote your new work to Wisconsin Public Library staff and patrons, a library journal digital review, and an invitation to speak at the um, Wisconsin Library Association annual conference in October. So there's all these really great opportunities for, you know, whoever wins this contest who wants to be a self-published author um, to uh, participate in this. And the, and the runner-up of the contest will also receive a library journal digital review and an invitation to speak at the WLA conference in October as well. Um, so in their kind of promotional release, um, they mentioned that recent data from 2016 showed that 20% of the book market is composed of indie authors. The creation of the Wisconsin Author Project gives librarians not only a chance to engage with those this growing group of authors, but also an opportunity to be active stewards for new works. So we can really support and promote these um, these authors creating this local content, which is super exciting. Um, for self-published authors, the contest is a fantastic prospect to elevate their careers and business. Along with the accolade of the award and its perks, being recognized by librarians creates credibility and visibility in the growing marketplace of digital content and self-published books. Winning authors will reach hundreds, if not thousands, of new readers via the library and can also leverage being an award-winning author for additional marketing opportunities. And the requirements for submitting a book, um, there's only a few things. Um, it has to be self-published. It has to be in the genre of young adult fiction or adult fiction, uh, written by a Wisconsin resident, and available in either PDF or EPUB format. So, like, the book that I've started to read as one of the submissions um, – it was actually published like four years ago in 2014. Um, so there's really no timeline on that part. I think just as long as it kind of fits within those four required things, you can submit it for this contest. And I, I did look it up on Goodreads. Like it already has like reviews on there, you know, from like a few years ago. Um, so because it's a new thing, it's it's been really interesting to be a part of Um and we haven't met in person as a committee yet, but, um, you know, I'm kind of excited to see how this whole experience goes. Um, but I wanted to get it out there that this is a new project. Um, if you are an author in Wisconsin, I want to encourage you maybe for next year, because I know the deadline is coming up like crazy soon, um, to participate in this contest. Um, super easy. And you can submit your books to... The website is called it's it's indieauthorproject.librariesshare.com backslash Wisconsin. Um, so we can include that link um, on our podcast page, and we can also include the link that tells you a little bit more about the Wisconsin Author Project. So that if you know not this year, but next year, if you're interested um, in submitting your work, we know we would love to read it and love to see what it's all about. So this is going to be an ongoing yearly thing. Yeah, I think I think they're hoping for this year to go really well, um, so that we can continue doing it. And it's really great that we're working with Library Journal 
and biblioboard which biblioboard is this um i had never heard of it before this um but it's this community engagement software um that anybody in the state can access it um and there's a link out there um that links it to um I don't, I don't have that. Um, but there's like a Wisconsin's digital library page that includes OverDrive and BiblioBoard because they want everybody to have access to BiblioBoard. So everybody can be reading, um, you know, locally published content and have access to that. Yeah, so this is the first year. And I think the hopes is that, you know, we keep this going as a yearly a yearly award along with, you know, the other awards that are given away by the Wisconsin Library Association, you know, including the Children's Book Award. And I know there's an adult book award as well. So a little bit more about BiblioBoard. So they're like, are all Wisconsin authors? Can you find authors on here? Yes. Um, I signed into it, not as a committee member, but as like anybody else. And there's quite a few titles on there that uh, you can read. They're, they've been uploaded and they are there for anybody to access and for everybody to read. Okay. So eventually it says coming soon that they're going to have discover local content from self-published Wisconsin authors, top mm -hmm. indie eBooks and so much more. Right. Which I uh, think is available right now. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they have somebody actively looking or do you need to submit? Because I've always wanted to mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. go to one site that has like, this is only Wisconsin authors right. and look through all of them, whether they're published in a gigantic publishing house or an indie house. I mm -hmm. just want to be able to see all of the Wisconsin authors and not hunt around through right. everybody's bio, through different publishing houses, and then right. a lot of them slip through the cracks. I think that the only limitation on this is it's Wisconsin authors who are self-published. Okay, so they won't have anybody that's published with a, a right. regular publishing house Right, there. yes, yes. It's only self-published authors. Um, and BiblioBoard also has um, where you can create your own content. Um, I think through press books it's called, but it's in connection with BiblioBoard. So you can format your book. Um, it says you can create and design your own book, newsletters, poetry, novels, and more in digital and print ready formats. So like the book that I've been reading, you can actually order like a print edition if you don't want to like read it through BiblioBoard or on your computer or tablet. Um, so it's really giving authors who are being interested in self, who are interested in self-publishing the tools to make that happen, which is pretty exciting. So kind of a newish thing for us. So I'm sure there will be more developed with all of that. And along the same lines, I have with me a journal from the Heartland, which is by Blue Bus Publishing comes out of Amherst and they have their last they had a call for submissions for um, the top I think three won some money prizes and then they had different submissions from people all around Wisconsin Nice. and it is I think it's going to be published at least once a year maybe twice and it has 
art published in it, um, small nonfiction stories, um, some fiction stories, poems. Uh, there's a bunch of different things, all from different contributors around Wisconsin. Uh, we will have the first and second edition of the Journal from the Heartland at the library soon, uh, once I get them purchased and put into the collection. And they are also looking for submissions. That's great. Um, for their next one, so that if you want to find them online or on Facebook, Journal from the Heartland, you can submit um, a variety of different writing to possibly be included in the next volume. And I think the requirement is to... I don't think you have to be living in Wisconsin. You have to be f maybe from Wisconsin or have lived in Wisconsin or be writing about Wisconsin, but it, sh it has that uh, local flavor to it. Wonderful. And my next book to recommend, um, I will mention a couple at the end that we don't have time to get into, uh, but this one is by a publishing company that I like called $2 Radio. And this one is called The Vine That Ate the South by J.D. Wilkes. He's also a musician. You can find his um, albums and listen to him. He's got some good stuff there. Uh, the description on the book is, In a forgotten corner of western Kentucky lies a haunted forest referred to locally as the deadening where vampire cults roam wild and time is immaterial. Our protagonist and his accomplice, the one and only Carver Canute, set out down the old spur line in search of legendary Kudzu House, where an old couple is purported to have been swallowed whole by a hungry vine. Their quest leads them to face-to-face -face with albino panthers, Great Dane riding girls, protective pro property owners, and just about every American folk demon ever while forcing the protagonist to finally take stock of his relationship with his father and the man's mysterious disappearance. Um, one reviewer calls it surreal, mythic, funny, and touching Southern Gothic quest. Kirkus Review says it's Hunter S. Thompson and Johnny Depp would be cackling to beat the devil over with the brazen tribute to folklore, tradition, and hillbilly rituals. Wilkes's debut is a rich and heartfelt yarn that resonates as deeply as his music. It's kind of like a, a little bit like an odyssey where it's episodic and they're going through this adventure, just riding their bikes, trying to get to this kudzu house. And as they come across all kinds of different things and different strange characters of the South, some of them are trying to shoot them for trespassing and weird old Masonic lodges. Um, so I'm gonna read a tiny bit hear about the introduction of kudzu. If you've never been to the South, the first time I was there, I was astonished. Have you ever seen the kudzu? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. It is, it's just a green blanket that's taking over everything. Wow. So yeah. you go drive down through the trees and there's just blankets of these vines everywhere just taking over. The locals say you can sit and actually see the kudzu grow. It grows so fast wow. and just takes over everything. It sounds amazing. It is kind of amazing. <laughs> I loved it, but I didn't live there. Most people there hate it because they can't get rid of it. Sure. 
Um, I'm going to butcher this scientific name here. Kudzu, a.k.a. Peraria Montana Lobata, is of a Chinese descent and as such has good reason to want to do us in. Communist plot that it must be. Deceptively, it begins just a tiny thing. Its little runners spread via vegetative reproduction, producing shoots that root along its host. The seeds it sheds in autumn lie dormant for years, long after the past has been thought destroyed. Yet once again it stirs deep below our boots in the loam and gloam of the shadowlands. And although deaf and blind, it maneuvers around the urns of sleeping saints through the soil of the biblical Sheol. Here the earth is churned by the weed's slow sinew. Like a constrictor, it girdles the good roots around it, then up it slips, piercing the topsoil into daylight. It climbs to the treetops to unfurl its shroud of dragon scales and kills the trees with shade. Oaks, pines, walnuts, sycamores, they are the good guys. They stand as strong as they can against their kudzu cousin, digging their feet in to do battle. Because, as you know, the roots of trees often run deeper than the branches grow wide. It's true. If we could view a cross-section of Earth's crust, we'd see how the woods above cannot compare to the wilderness growing underground. Believe it or not, this vast, gripping web is what footholds us to the planet. It reinforces our topsoil and gives humans a place to stand. Killer Kudzu, however, seems hell-bent on loosening these underpinnings, weakening our purchase, and sending us all flying into outer space. So that is a fun adventure. There's a lot of humor as you go along through the different episodes um, and different books by $2 Radio. I would also recommend they've come out with like four new books a year um, that you can usually find on our shelves. And a couple books that I've read recently that we don't have time to go over are uh, a book by Scott Jurek, Endurance Runner, called North, Finding My Way While Running the Appalachian Trail. Um, He describes his whole journey on the 2,189-mile journey from south to north on the Appalachian Trail, and he actually broke the speed record during it. Uh Had a lot of help and different adventures and some with some locals in the south that they thought were going to do them harm. So more southern adventures a little bit. And another one that I just finished that was really good was called Mother American Night, My Life in Crazy Times by John Perry Barlow. And he recently died this year. Uh, John Perry Barlow, he wrote 30 songs for the Grateful Dead. And he grew up in Wyoming to ranching royalty and had friendships with Neil Cassidy, Steve Jobs, JFK Jr. Um, he has he starts out talking about growing up in Wyoming, a little bit about getting connected with Bob Weir and writing lyrics for the Grateful Dead. But he had a lot of different endeavors that um, are really interesting. Like he knew... Dick Cheney, Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, Steve Jobs, Timothy Leary, and he talks, he get, he gets into politics. He was an early proponent of the internet, and he started the Electronic Frontier Foundation, I believe, to help keep the internet um, more free and open and not locked down by copyright and corporations stalling creative progress. So he was an early advocate. Growing out of that, he was also involved with um, getting 
funding and money to WikiLeaks um, as it went down, as it progressed, and he was helping with the institution of a like secure Dropbox for journalists at New York Times, Washington Post, or whatever, wherever, so that if you have a story but you're afraid to release it, that you can put it, put the information in this secure Dropbox and you won't be able to be traced. Wow. So a, a good resource for journalists to share information without uh, having to be outed and possibly um, lose their jobs or even worse, hunted down by somebody who doesn't want that information to come to light. Um, That's a great publisher name, by the way, $2 Radio. Yeah. Nice. I like it. It is awesome. $2 Radio. On their website, I don't know if they still do this. I think they do. They changed the prize, but there's a little logo here in this book. It's a little boombox. It's like a little radio, a little boombox. Yeah, and if you get the tattoo on your body, they give you like 10 free books or something. (laughs) What? Come on. I feel like I would need more than 10 free books. <laughs> I think it started out as free books for life. Oh, okay. I think maybe too many people mm. started getting them. That's pretty funny. And then they wouldn't even have a business. Just they just the... have to give out free books to people who have <laughs> tattoos right. of their logo. <laughs> little boom box. That's fun. So to kind of wrap things up on my end, um, I'm just going to briefly talk about some stuff that's been happening at the library this summer. Um And the thing I'm really going to focus on is our children's garden, um, which we built when we remodeled the children's room, which was maybe like four or five years ago now. And so we added this garden onto the building of the library for people to enjoy during library hours, um, you know, and to create a welcoming family space um, that you can go outside. You can take books out there um, and read outside if you'd like. you know, we do have um, some sidewalk activities and some other fun little things going on out there. But we also wanted to create like this learning, this learning space as well. So we are a certified monarch waste station um, because we have you have to plant so much like swamp milkweed in order to become a certified monarch waste station. I can't remember swamp milkweed swamp because there's like common milkweed and there's swamp milkweed. And there's all kinds of milkweed. I did not know that. So it and ha- monarchs like the swampy stuff, huh? I, they do. They do. I think, I, I don't know how picky monarchs are on the kind of milkweed, but they definitely need the milkweed since that is the only thing that they eat as caterpillars is the milkweed. So, so we're a certified monarch waste station, and we've really been trying to develop that this year. We've planted um, more milkweed. We've also planted other things that will attract butterflies and pollinators. And um, this year we have um, been trying to raise our own monarchs as well. So we've been working with local monarch experts, including Richard Breen um, and Kathy McGrath, um, both as advisors, kind of helping us with the project. And Richard Breen has really been providing us with Um, some of the equipment and he's been collecting butterfly eggs so we now have caterpillars because they hatched yesterday Um, so we have lots of tiny little caterpillars that are starting to eat um, the milkweed leaves 
and it's been great. We've had other patrons um, who have donated um, butterflies who are in chrysalis, and those have been opening this week. And we have a couple butterfly pavilions. So once once they open and their wings dry, we've been transferring them to the um, butterfly butterfly pavilion and putting in some sugar water for nectar. What is a butterfly pavilion? Pavilion. <laughs> this is what it's called. So it's these sort of inexpensive like butterfly kind of screened tube house that you can buy. I bought them. I think on Amazon, maybe. Um, so it's just like this screened tube um, that's collapsible and it expands. Um, so you can house your butterflies in there. Like if it's sort of like a bug house, but for butterflies. <laughs> oh, bug house. Yeah, I've got tons of those. That makes sense. <laughs> but it's a pavilion. <laughs> but it's just a tube, huh? It's just is, like this is it a screen wide tube? in the shape of a tube. And it's probably like a foot in diameter. And it's probably like three three feet tall. Um, it's almost like one of those like hampers that you buy, those laundry hampers that you can kind of just expand. Okay. Yeah, like they're mesh. But so this one's actually like a maybe that's a little like bigger a than I was thinking then. Okay, yeah. I was thinking more of like one of those backpack coolers that you just fit in cans and go to the beach. Oh, like that big? Like that big? No, they're a little bit bigger. That's <laughs> they're good. a little bit bigger. So it has some space and we're only planning on keeping them um, for like a few days or something after they open just so it gives kids and families a chance to, you know, to see the butterflies before we release them. Um, but we have plenty of caterpillars, so we are certainly going to have a lot of butterflies that we'll be raising, which is really exciting. And then we will release them. Um, but in our display and by our garden, we have information. Um, if you're interested in getting involved um, in monarch conservation, um, we have information for you to take if you want to create your own um, monarch butterfly garden at home. You know, it kind of um, tells you how to do that. And um, we also have some information about a local group um, of volunteers who are working to encourage and support the expansion of pollinator, pollinator habitat in Southwood County. Um, they have a Facebook page. Um it says visit our Facebook page, fb.me backslash Wisconsin Rapids. I think the name of their group is Monarch Encouragement. Um, and if you're interested, you can also email Penny at smallfaith1, spelled out like O-N-E, at gmail.com. Um, so, yeah, and like I mentioned earlier, milkweed is pretty important to monarchs because that is basically the plant that they need um to survive yeah i remember doing stuff like this when i was small back in the days when yeah i remember for some reason monarch growing walking on the side of the road looking for caterpillars and the milkweed all combines together in like my pbs phase of where in the world is carmen san diego mr rogers and monarchs all are just in the same memory bank that's so fun the PBS phase is a good one. It's it a is. good phase. Watch some PBS, start a monarch garden. I love it. Your day or weekend is going to be great. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been really fascinating because, like, I've never seen, you know, a butterfly egg hatch. And we've been able to see that this week. 
and see how small the caterpillars are when they come out of the eggs like they are just minuscule and then they become these big fat caterpillars because all they're doing is eating milkweed all day and um we just had a patron donate a few caterpillars who are just about to go into chrysalis so they're kind of in the j formation um, and they're working on creating the J formation. The J formation what? is what I've been told. <laughs> the J shape. <laughs> sounds like we're at the EAA now. Yeah, this, this is all butterfly excitement. So yeah, so it's been a really great project. So if you're interested, um, you should come check out our display in the children's area, and definitely check out um, our children's garden and use that space. We have a bench out there. We have a picnic table out there now. Um, Where so you could read these fantastic yes. books that we've been talking about. Yes, you can read and uh, enjoy the outdoors at the same time and maybe see a few butterflies on the yeah. milkweed. Is the monarch, so we're a monarch station. Is that mm -hmm. online somewhere? Like if you get certified, can you go like figure out where all the different monarch way yes. stations are and there, visit them? I think there is a website. I don't know the name of it. But it has like a map of all the Monarch way stations. Um, and then people can also keep track of sightings and keep numbers of what you're finding. You know, it's sort of a shared global site so they can keep track That's of fun. the butterflies. And maybe you can find where there's a lot of them or where a lot of them are migrating to and yeah. go take a visit on the weekend. Right. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fun to see that. And it's amazing how far they migrate. You know, it's and I, I know earlier this year before they arrived here, there was a, a map online of, you know, kind of where they were from Mexico all the way up north. You know, where were the monarch butterflies today? Wow. You know, it was just really fun to see see their path while they were migrating north. Yeah, so. I loved finding monarchs as a kid. Also, dragonflies. Oh, dragonflies, yeah. Um, I don't know if it's the same with monarchs. I'm sure it, the years are fluctuating with how many there are at a certain time, like some years, maybe there's more. Mm -hmm. um, but I always remember this one year back in the same PBS era where for some reason there were just so many dragonflies that mm -hmm. it was like, you were like swimming through them. They're wow. like the huge ones, Ew. the whole air. Like we lived out in the country and the air was just completely just wow. covered thick everywhere. Wow. And yeah. to my young brain, it was just like the most amazing thing that I had ever experienced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Millions of dragonflies covering amazing. the sky. Yeah. I mean, maybe it, it comes and goes, you know, with the population numbers. Um, but I know one of the biggest things for saving the monarchs is the concern about population decline um, because of habitat loss and pesticides and climate change and all of that kind of stuff. So... Um, so I know the numbers have, have changed immensely. Um, so that's, you know, one of the reasons that we're kind of doing this too and why we're a monarch way station to help yeah. those monarchs out. And I will leave you with this closing admonition. If your child is a bug collector, I once collected a spider that lived around our house in the country as well. Nice. And then forgot about it in the jar as it made a gigantic spider nest with millions of spider eggs and it Gross. broke out of the jar oh everywhere. God. Sounds like so, a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. Don't keep spiders. No, maybe not. It's not it's not fun. No. Grasshoppers, butterflies, mm -hmm. they're fun to study. Yeah. Yeah, it's been really great. Really 
really fun. All right. Thanks for listening. And we'll get reading to get you some more recommendations. We'll try to get some of these books down on our lower level display by the DVDs, uh, where we try to keep some of the books that we talk about and different things throughout the month that we think are of interest and that are cut above that you might enjoy. So check out what we've done. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. We hope you use this information to strike up a local conversation. Check us out at macmillanlibrary.org to see upcoming events, including concerts, speakers, movies, and more. We also have free online classes through Gale Courses, as well as a host of databases for your research needs. If you can't find what you're looking for, stop in at the information desk. The Macmillan Conversation Maker podcast can be found at macmillanlibrary.org backslash podcast. Check, check. They Hello. still don't oh, come out I think here. mine's working. Hello.